Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey everybody, welcome to this week's podcast. I want to thank everybody that showed up for the Whatnot stream last weekend. That was absolutely awesome, and I am definitely doing more of those at least one a week. But I don't want to waste anybody's time on that who's not interested. I'll talk more at the end. Let's just jump in and see what's been going on this week. First up, the creator of Project Nested just posted a detailed video as to how it works and how they came up with the idea, and basically just a really detailed deep dive into the project. And for anybody unfamiliar, Project Nested is a way to take NES ROMs and patch them to look for the hardware registers of the SNES instead, essentially allowing you to run many NES games on the Super Nintendo. And we demoed it in a live stream, and we kind of did a lot more of the, the general nerd terms, whereas uh, this video is a lot more in-depth, but it's a really interesting way to experience this, and somewhat useful for people that want to run NES games through the SNES for the outputs, so you get RGB out uh, out of a stock SNES, whereas you need to mod your NES, but I think the other possibilities are even cooler, including adding MSE1 audio to the NES games, which has already been done with Zelda 1 and 2. So if you're interested in the project, at the very least, skim through the post and maybe check out the live stream that we did, which isn't too long, just going through demoing and showing how it works. But this video is definitely detailed and in-depth and something that's probably more developer-focused, or at least people that that are interested in that stuff. So I was thoroughly impressed. I thought it was an absolutely awesome and interesting and unique way to experience the games. And I also saw the possibilities for what this could be used for. So if you're interested, definitely check all this stuff out. And thanks very much to the creator, myself086. I'm not referring to myself. That's their screen name. Uh, But thanks for posting stuff like this, because I always think it's pretty important. This week's podcast is once again sponsored by JLC PCB, and this week I'd like to talk about their assembly service, but instead of looking at it from how to order, I want you to see what it's like to be there at the factory. So, while I've never been to an assembly facility as impressive as JLC PCBs, I have been to places like it, and I can kind of walk you through what it is that you're seeing here. They have a giant warehouse of component preparation, and each shelf is numbered and corresponds to your order, so that when your order is ready, everything gets scanned in, as well as your PCBs and your stencils. And now, when you have a PCB assembly made, a stencil is required because everything's done through machinery for surface mount stuff. So a few weeks ago, I talked about having a stencil for making your own stuff on a reflow oven. Here's how it's done in a factory environment, where the machinery goes through and spreads the solder paste only on the areas of the PCB that require any of the components. Then it gets scanned through a different machine to make sure that nothing's splattered and everything lines up. 
And then comes my favorite part of watching these videos, the pick and place machine. These are different machines that go through and take individual components and place them exactly where they need to be on top of the existing solder paste. These things are so cool to see in person, and it's so interesting and fascinating to me how they get programmed to put everything in the exact place they need. But it's not quite done from there. While it's sticky on there, it won't be until it goes through the reflow oven where it's heated up to the correct temperature in order for all of the components to permanently bind to the board. Then it gets inspected to make sure there's no craziness on it and you know nothing splattered through. And then it's sent to the final through-hole assembly. And these are for scenarios like if you have a build that has a bunch of surface mount components, but then a few through-hole components like a SCART connector or a VGA connector. Those have to be soldered through by hand and those are manually done by people on an assembly line who also do the final checks and finish it off to make sure everything looks the way it's supposed to be. So that's just a quick behind the scenes look of what happens when you place a PCBA order from JLC PCB. Oh, and they also showed a bit in that video about wave soldering, but that's such an amazing and impressive thing that I'm going to save that for a totally different video. A Kickstarter campaign was just launched for a device that allows you to connect USB peripherals to classic PCs, and it's aptly named the USB for VC, or USB for Vintage Computers. It's developed by Duku Nukem and based on a modular open source design that claims to have less than a millisecond of lag, and supposedly averaging less than, or averaging about half a millisecond of latency, which for all human use, that's zero. Uh, you know, there's a lot of people that seem to misunderstand and confuse milliseconds with frames. Half a frame could possibly maybe be interpreted by pro players, but half a millisecond, absolutely not impossible. Uh, and it's based on a modular design, which is kind of interesting. So rather than try to jam every feature into one, there's a baseboard and then different protocol cards, and then you have to supply your own Raspberry Pi. However, you could use pretty much any Pi out there, which is great because there's still the Raspberry Pi shortage, just like every other component shortage there is out there. So if you have a two laying around that's you know long been collecting dust in a box, you could still utilize it for this, which I just love repurposing older hardware. It's like RetroNAS uses any old computer, but I digress. So you take your Raspberry Pi and plug it into the baseboard and then add whatever protocol card onto that. So there's one for the IBM PC. There's one that allows you to just spit out PS2 keyboard and mouse type of connections. And overall, I think that's a good idea because you don't have to worry about one giant massive thing and you could expand it in the future. So deliveries are aiming for April. Um, I, I always tell people respectfully to just assume it's going to be late because uh, there's just a million factors involved in things like this and we are in a global part shortage but they're aiming for fairly early delivery for this and either way it just looks like a very cool product and it looks like something that people might be interested in if they have a bunch of old vintage computers so check out rick's post for all the details and then the kickstarter link is right there as well as a link to the open source project if you'd like to take a look at that as well and maybe even make your own Scanline City has just released a few more metal plus plexi cases for arcade boards. This time cases are available for X-Men, Gunbird 1 and 2, and Strikers 1945 1 and 2. And these are the same quality and build construction as the one that I'd shown before. They had previous ones for all of the Mortal Kombats, for the Simpsons, and quite a few others. And I absolutely love these. 
Now, I always want to make sure that I'm completely honest and blunt about this, and that if you're simply looking for a safe way to store your arcade boards, get yourself some anti-static bubble wrap and some shipping boxes, especially the padded shipping boxes that would fit, and just store them vertically, you know, all nice with the static shielding over them, and you should be fine. You don't need to spend a lot of money to properly store your arcade boards. However, if you plan on using them and storing them, that's when something like this is a huge advantage. Because in the original live stream I did with Jonathan, I kept trying to knock them over just to show that they're pretty sturdy by themselves, just sitting either on the tall or wider ends. Of course, you could lay them flat if you want. So if you have your super gun connected to the side or your JAMA cable inside your arcade machine, these are fully functional cases that do a great job protecting it and keeping it standing. But they also look amazing. I really love the way the Plexi looks over the metal because you don't get any of the fingerprints that you get on the metal and it kind of gives a strange depth to it because you're looking through the Plexi into the metal. Uh, please check out the live stream we did a while back for more details, but uh, I think they're absolutely excellent cases and they're reasonably priced for what they are but they're expensive. And I always just try to beat this point to death because there's so many people out there, like with the retro gamer store cases, that see the price and immediately go, oh, they're ripping us off, that's crazy. But if you learn what this is, what what's in the kit and why somebody would want to buy it, it completely makes sense. I mean, these are, you know, precision cut metal with, precision cut plexi directly over them with the full kit to mount it to your arcade board so this is definitely something for the enthusiast that doesn't just want to store it they also want it to look cool and they want to be able to use them as well so definitely check out scanline city's website for all of the different cases that they sell uh, as well as the original live stream that we did if you want more info and and kind of to see them in action because i really dug in and tried to get it from different angles and you know just tried to show what to expect when you get them but i'm a huge fan of these cases and i'm glad that they're expanding to more arcade boards and different platforms and there's a few other cool ones coming up too that i know they're working on that i'm definitely going to be doing at least live stream on showing it off and and playing it before it goes off to a friend of mine who purchased it Displaced Gamers just posted a really neat video where they took a four-page Nintendo Power article from 1991 that discussed different mappers and what that meant for NES cartridges and kind of picked it apart and went through it. And it was both a really fun look as to how Nintendo tried to spin that in their marketing back in a time where they were still trying to sell NES cartridges but also trying to pimp out their new SNES. But it was also neat to see some of the mistakes in the article and to hear Chris describe them, especially if you're a fan of displaced gamers you've been hearing these explanations for a while so to hear nintendo's version of it versus chris's was pretty cool it was just a really enjoyable video so if you've been liking even a little bit any of these videos this is definitely one that i would recommend just because it kind of references the magazine it bounces back and forth and it was pretty easy to understand so uh, overall you know i'm not trying to say chris's videos are not e easy to understand we talked about that when we did the interview but some of the stuff gets highly technical and this one's just i just thought this was fun it's still technical technical, but this was a fun one, so check it out if you're interested. Humble Bazooka just released an amped edition of their JAG AIOA adapter, which allows you to get RGB, composite, and S-video simultaneously out of your Jaguar. 
I have an explanation to all of this and another mini review, but if you just want to skip to the end, this, in my opinion, is the adapter to buy if you want multiple outputs from your JAG. If you already own a really high-quality RGB cable and a high-quality S-Video cable or something, you might not need this, but if you don't, or if you have an older beat-up cable like some of the ones I used to have to buy because there were no other options, this is the one for you. And there's really nothing to worry about. There's zero safety issues. You could use everything at the same time. This is so far my favorite video output solution for the Jaguar. But now let me talk a little bit about why. And if you're not into the details, please skip to the next section. So I mean that respectfully, by the way. I just don't want to bore everybody to death. But if you're a nerd, stay with me here. So the original version of the JAG AIOA looked exactly the same on the outside, but it just took all of the traces from the output connector on the Jaguar and ran them out to their ports. And there's nothing wrong with that, and there certainly was no safety issue if you're just using one at a time, but it brought up a couple of different problems. First of all, the output of a Jaguar, the RGB lines, output proper video signals, and it uses a Genesis 2 video connector. So that means you also have to compensate for the fact that the Genesis 2 RGB SCART cables has have components in them. So while technically the Jaguar was outputting the correct video signals, when you combined it with the Genesis cable, it would be a little too dim. Now, if you were using a CRT, that's no big deal. You could just turn the knob up. You could just turn the brightness up on your flat panel, but that can get annoying and that has some other issues with it. Not safety related, but just more annoyance. However, if you were using the HD retrovision cables, those compensate for the brightness and you're good to go. So the original adapter was really great for people that wanted one output at a time. And if you were getting RGB, it was via HD retrovision. But the other issue is HD retrovision cables sync on composite video, which means you could not plug in the composite video output of this adapter and the HD retrovisions at the same time. You could, but it might not be safe for the console. I don't have details on that, so I would much rather be wrong in saying don't do it than be wrong in saying do it and have it damage your console. So there was a bunch of issues related to that, and Humble Bazooka went back and added an amp in it for people that were using RGB SCART cables or needed multiple outputs. So just to reiterate one last time, if you have the original and you're using HD Retrovision cables and not simultaneous out or just HD Retrovision and S-Video, um, then you're safe. It's a perfectly good adapter. I said it was safe the first time I reviewed it. You don't really have to worry about that. But here's why I love the new one. Uh, Humble Bazooka took a THS7374 amp, a very high-quality video amplifier used in tons of retro gaming projects, uh, with the low-pass filter turned off, so you don't have double filtering or anything like that. And they were able to rebuild the circuit so that it outputs exactly what a cable would be expecting from a Genesis 2, the same port. But there was kind of a cool bonus in that Genesis 2 cables that are properly built already have the same type of components on the sync line that you would have needed on an Atari Jaguar's RGB SCART cable. So that means no processing needed to be done. They just ran sync right over to that pin, which freed up a pin on the amplifier. So they were able to then run composite video with the proper circuitry, of course, through that. And whenever you run something through one of those THS7374 amps, you could get safe dual output. So that means that this now works with 
everything. In the review here, I posted on the bottom scope plots to show that it outputs the exact voltage that you would want from something like this, with room for some tolerance, because all consoles, or no two consoles are identical. So the voltage is output perfectly, and regardless of what cable you have plugged into the RGB port, so HD Retrovision, Sync on Composite RGB, Sync on um, C-Sync RGB, doesn't matter. If you plug in a composite video cable, that does not change, which means it's all amped properly, the circuits are isolated, and it's the same exact high-quality output as the original JAG AIOA was. So that's basically why this is my favorite, because you could have any combination of anything on this. You could safely use composite and any RGB adapter. If you wanted to, you could even use a Genesis 2 composite cable and the composite output of this. I don't really know why you would want to do that, but you can if you, if you feel like it. And I think that's a big deal because I do know a lot of people who prefer to stream with RGB, but they have a big, beautiful CRT with only a composite input that they want to game on that and then stream via the higher quality output. Now, with splitting audio, all of the same caveats apply. It is perfectly safe in this scenario to have both audio connections at the same time. So essentially a Y circuit. Um, totally safe to do that. There's no issues on either the source or target end. There's always some know-it-all that has to post a three-paragraph-long thing about how this could potentially add a little bit of interference in the signal. Yeah, maybe. A little bit of hum, possibly, but it, it's not something that's permanent, and I certainly didn't hear it when I connected both sources, or both both destinations to the same source. So I always got to put that out there now, because uh, I don't want it... Um, overzealous commenters to freak anybody out. I left a link in there too for proof that you could test yourself. You don't even have to believe me on this. So overall, I think in my opinion, this is the adapter to get for the Jaguar, unless you already have the only cable you would ever need. So just to go back to the beginning and say, if you've already bought a really well-shielded um, RGB SCART cable, you don't need any of the other outputs, then I, I don't think there's any need to upgrade. No disrespect to anybody, just being honest. But if you have a crappy old cable, or if you want to use HD retrovisions, or if you want one adapter that handles all of these things, this is definitely the one. The only kind of downside is if you end up buying one used, do you have the amped edition or do you have the original non-amped edition? You would have to pop it open to see, but the circuit board says it right on there and you could even see uh you could even see the chip on it. I don't even need to zoom in. You could see see the you know, one has a chip on it, the other one doesn't and it says amped right on the board. So that one's pretty easy. Also on a personal note, I bent that composite pin. I probably shouldn't use that picture. That's that was my fault. That wasn't humble bazooka's fault. Uh so if you want any of this, check out the link. Um, you have to select which one you want from the drop-down menu. I would strongly recommend the amped version unless you're just using these for HD Retrovision plus S-Video or separately either HD Retrovision or composite, but not at the same time. But for the 10 bucks, I think I would get the amped version. Just, you know, my, my strong opinion on that one. So uh, great job by Humble Bazooka. I'm definitely happy to use this one. I think this is going to be a cool one. And I think JAG fans are going to like it.
Tito from Macho Nacho Productions just posted an overview of the Triforce arcade platform, which was an arcade system that was out in the 2000s, mostly the mid-2000s, I think, that was a combination of Sega, Namco, and Nintendo all working on it, which is a pretty interesting combination of companies to make an arcade platform. Now, this wasn't a modding video or some super deep technical dive. This was more of an overview, but I really enjoyed it because I've never seen one of these in person, and I certainly wanted to know more about the outputs and kind of just take a look at it. So if you already own one of these or if you know, you're know you a serious arcade head, um, there's probably nothing new in this video for you. But if you're like me, and even if you have a bunch of arcade knowledge and you just kind of want to see a different perspective on something like this, I really enjoyed the video and I thought it was a very cool look into it. Um, you know, I, I really like videos in this format because I don't have a lot of extra time. So while I would love to eventually sit down and watch a two-hour deep dive technical documentary on this platform, uh, I wouldn't have had time for that. So I loved being able to just kind of sit down and, and get a feel for what this platform was like and also kind of see what games were available on the original consoles and how they uh, compared to the arcade versions or tweaked versions of it. But anyway, if you're interested, definitely check out the video. Up next is this week's Mr. Updates, Care of Lou from Lou's Retro Source. As usual, I'm just going to skim through these and give everybody a basic idea of what's been going on. And if you're interested in any of the details, please check out Lou's posts, his video, and consider subscribing to his channel as well. But let's skim through and see what we got. So uh, Robert Pipe is continuing to work hard on the PlayStation Core, and that's been coming along pretty nicely. Hotego has given some updates on what he's currently working on, and he's gotten 80% of the CPU instructions implemented for the Neo Geo Pocket CPU, which is cool, because I'm really looking forward to, to playing that on the Mr. Platform to see, um, to see how that works. Also, uh, Randmark 3 has shown an FPGA implementation of SNK's Alpha Mission arcade game. And I definitely remember playing Alpha Mission 2 on the Neo Geo, and I really liked that game a lot. I also really dug the music. So I'm definitely interested in following this core and seeing how it progresses, because I'd certainly love to try out the original. There is also a new way of launching games for almost any core, and even for some of the arcade games that you want to play. I haven't personally had a chance to check this out yet, but I'm definitely interested in this because I find myself going to the same things over and over. So any easier way to launch games or any time saved is more time gaming. And even if it's just a second or two here and there, which people always make fun of me for that, like, oh, so does five or six seconds really matter? How many times are you going to play the game and add up all of those seconds, right? You know, in your lifetime, how much time have you lost just scrolling through a menu or something? So any way that you have launcher files available is always a good thing to me, and especially if it helps shorten things up and tweak things. Um, also, there is a Computers Lynx 480 and 96 core. Uh, I also had to look that up. So did Lou. That's not a typo. It's Computers. I've never heard of that before. So anybody in the comments want to chime in and explain what that is? And more importantly, why we should all be excited about it? I mean that respectfully, of course, but, uh, you know, I, I can't know everything about everything. And that one was new for me. And there's also something that brought up some PTSD nightmares for me, but I saw Windows NT4 is running in the 486 core. 
So anybody that's been doing IT for a long time sees that splash screen for NT and their heart sinks because they remembered some nightmare that they had to clean up because of moving over to it. I actually really liked NT a lot, but that doesn't mean that doesn't erase some of the nightmares I had supporting it far after the server should have been retired. I'm sure other fellow IT nerds have feel my pain for that one. Uh, and there's also other miscellaneous updates for the Atari ST800 and 5200, Apple II, Coco 3. So for a full list of all that stuff, please check out Lou's video and the links here. And uh, if uh, you're in a grumpy old IT person like me, check out the Windows NT thing and remember all the nightmares you had in the mid to late 2000s of cleaning up those messes. In this week's long-form conversation podcast that I normally post on Mondays, we answered a question that's been burning the Game Boy modding scene for quite a while now. Who the f*** is Mako? All kidding aside, I had a really great time talking to Mako. We went through his Game Boy modding, um, you know, what he does with them, his thoughts on modding in general. It was just a fun conversation and a great way to get to know somebody that uh, a lot of other people have been giving the thumbs up about in the retro gaming and, and modding scene for a while. So it was fun to get to know him. The only thing that I'll say, I don't know if I would call it a negative side of things, but there were at the beginning a bunch of different audio connection issues. I talked about that at the opening. That wasn't BS. So this is one of those times where like if the beginning of it feels a little long please stick with it that was a hundred percent my fault any of the dead air was just me trying to wait for the audio to catch back up and not really knowing you know if it was going to stick or, or maybe there was no dead air at the beginning and i was just doing that thing where when you panic time slows down so like one second feels like a long time i don't know either way i had a really great time talking to mako i hope we follow up again um, after another project or two is out and uh, you know we could talk about something else a little more focused on topic on a topic uh, we talked about tons of topics here but i had a great time with this one sorry about any of the issues in the beginning and uh, i'm certainly getting better using the riverside platform and starting to trust it more which is hard for me so hopefully i won't have any more blips like i did on this one but other than the first couple of minutes i thought everything went great and i really enjoyed the conversation so hopefully you did too Stika just reviewed a brand new homebrew Sega Genesis game called Metal Dragon that was originally released on the MSX2, but then the developer Kai Magazine had ported it over to the Genesis. Um, Stika's calling it Metal Gear meets Mercs, so it's a top-down shooter similar to Commando, Mercs, or Shock Troopers, but it tries to add some comedic references to Metal Gear Solid in there as well. And if you'd like a full overview of the game, Stika does his typical thing with it, where you get to learn about the game itself and the gameplay, but also the cartridge, the box, and basically it covers everything both a collector and a gamer would want to know about a game like this. So it's one of the many reasons why I like Stika's reviews. And also in the video, he showed a picture of the front of the cartridge, so you could take a look and uh, if you're into that kind of thing, see if it's built correctly from a voltage standpoint, which it seems to be. Uh, but I asked that he post a picture here in the written review just to, or the, the write-up of it, not the written review just to show that there are beveled edges and the sides are chamfered so you you could get the chamfer from the picture in the video but you couldn't quite get the bevel or couldn't quite see it and i just wanted to let everybody know that this appears to be a perfectly safe cartridge to use um, and that's you know that's one of the things that I always thought making something safe was a bare minimum, not a special feature request. It's a little scary to see some companies, especially some companies that are starting to make a name for themselves, still sell garbage. But this is not one of them. This has uh, chamfered and beveled edges, and it looks like whether you decide the game is for you or not, 
it would be safe if you do decide to play it. So definitely check out Stika's review, and uh, it certainly looks like an interesting game I'd certainly love to spend a few moments with as well. So I absolutely loved doing the stream on Whatnot last weekend. Thank you to everybody that showed up, and I'm definitely doing more. But I want to talk a little bit about why and what to expect, and more importantly, I want to hear from you if you like it, do you think this is the right platform for me? Because this stuff is so much more fun when I'm hanging out with you all doing it. It's not really any fun to get on a platform that nobody else likes and we're all just kind of sitting through. It seemed like people liked it, but I want to hear from you. But I also want to give you a quick overview of what I'm trying to accomplish there and why I'm there and, and what I'm, you know, basically what I'm doing. As always, full transparency, I am not sponsored by them, so this is all my personal thoughts, except I seemed to really like the platform, so hopefully some kind of sponsorship will happen, but at the moment, right now, at the time of recording this, this is just honestly how I feel. So, Whatnot is a live streaming auction platform, kind of like imagine if Twitch or Instagram Live sold stuff. And I absolutely loved going through and opening up a box and saying, like, what do we have here? Okay, let's test it. Let's make sure it works. Let's talk about it. Let's figure out if people, if this is the right solution for the people in the chat or not. And then, okay, let's auction it off. And I absolutely loved that part of it. But I know that's not really what most whatnotters do. I still don't know if if that's what I'm supposed to say, but whatever. Uh, People on the platform generally pre-list their items, and if they do find other stuff, it's not more of like a grab bag style. So, um, you know, I never really fit in totally anywhere, but I do feel like I could find a happy medium. So the next stream I'm going to be doing is going to be PlayStation-focused, although I'm definitely going to open it up doing a random... I think I have a stack of PS4 games that my cousin gave me that I think would be better off going to people that would actually play them. So I'll start out with kind of one of those, but this week, uh, and it's going to be Friday evening, uh, evening New York time, I have a couple of items already preloaded, including a PS1 digital modded and X-Station modded PlayStation 1. So one PS1 that has HDMI and an ODE built in. I have a PlayStation 2 with a mod chip and a C-Sync mod. I have a PS2 with just a C-Sync mod on the model that allows you to keep composite video and component video. So all you would really lose is S-Video, but you gain the ability to run 480p over RGBS. So basically, if you have an Extron Crosspoint, that's really exciting. If you have a newer model G-SCART Switch, it's useless. Both of those things are totally fine. That's why I want to talk about it in the auction chat while we're, you know, while I'm showing it so people know what they're getting. But I also have rare controllers and I'm doing a giveaway for a PS Uno Retro, which is those uh, Bluetooth adapters that allows you to connect modern PlayStation controllers wirelessly to older ones with very, very little latency. So, uh, this one's going to be kind of a mix of everything I want to do on the platform. Some some bigger items that I'm, you know, I've had sitting around that I don't use that I think people would be interested in. Some grab bag style stuff where I figure out what to sell as we're doing it and a giveaway. And that's exactly what I would like to do with this platform. And I also really want to do stuff like if I do a video on something like, uh, you know, Cousin Scott and I were talking about doing a podcast style video on how we like to watch certain content on CRTs versus projectors versus flat panels. And afterwards, I think I would love to jump on whatnot and auction off 
the one of the projectors that I was using, as well as a DVD VHS HDMI combo unit, so you could play VHS tapes through HDMI, and a, a component video outputting VCR DVD combo, like, and a bunch of VHS tapes we'll start with. Like, I, I really think it's going to be awesome to do things like I have a project that I've spent a ton of money and a ridiculous amount of time on that would normally all go in a box and go into storage and never be used again. And now I get to recoup some of those costs while more importantly, getting it in the hands of people who want it. So that's what I want to do there. Plus, I just love hanging out with all of you awesome people. So sometimes I'm sure I'll just open up a box and sell whatever's in it just for a chance to hang out. But that's kind of my goals on the platform. I also have a couple of friends who are, you know, a little reluctant to try new platforms. Uh, you know, the grumpy old IT people, if you will, that I'm trying to drag on there with me because I think they have a bunch of really cool stuff that, that other people would like and enjoy more than they do. I mean that with love, of course. So so, uh, you know, this is something that I think I'm really going to enjoy doing. But like I said at the beginning, I want to make sure that you all like it. Do you think this is the right platform for this? Do you not like the platform because of something? I want to make sure I'm part of something that's a good fit for all of us. And my gut kind of tells me this is the one I was looking for. But what you have to say about it's way more important. So please let me know what you think. And also, please click if you're not part of the platform click on the link in this description because you get $10 off your first purchase. So that's not like a gimmick or something like that. It's just if you sign up by just going to whatnot.com and downloading the app, you don't get anything on your first purchase. If you use the link, then you get 10 bucks off your first pur purchase and make sure to follow me as well. So, uh, that's pretty much it, I guess. I'm really just looking for your thoughts on all this and what you all think, but I hope to see you all this Friday for the PlayStation auction, and I hope to see you for a whole bunch more, because I think it's a platform that I'm probably going to be on from now on. Well, that's it for this week. As always, thanks to everybody who watches, listens, plays nicely in the comments, and especially thank you to anybody who supports in any way possible, whether it's the monthly services, tipping, or any of the other ways to support RetroRGB. You're what's keeping this going, as well as all of the behind-the-scenes research, the videos, and everything else. So thank you all so much, and I'll see you next week. <laughs>